Podcast brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the Quadcast. Hi, and welcome to the Quadcast. I'm Molly Ames. I'm a reporter for the Mary Christie Institute and the guest host of this episode. I'm thrilled to say that we'll be hearing from Dr. Amelia Aria today. Dr. Aria is director of the Center on Young Adult Health and Development and professor of behavioral and community health at the University of Maryland School of Public Health. She's nationally known for her expertise at the intersection of substance use and mental health challenges in young people. But Dr. Aria isn't just studying these subjects, she's also helping to address them as co-director of the Maryland Collaborative, which is a group that partners with more than a dozen colleges around Maryland to raise awareness and develop solutions around excessive drinking and substance use on campuses. So welcome, Dr. Aria. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's great to be here, Molly. Thanks. So thinking about what's happening on campuses right now, I wonder what you would say are some of the major takeaways when it comes to college substance use trends at the moment coming into or really already into 2023. Sure. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to share some thoughts with you today. Some of the major concerns about substance use is that students are still using substances at a rate that is sort of undesirable. This certainly is a concern, and we can talk more about that. In 2021, the latest national data suggests that 20% meet criteria for a substance use disorder, which means that their substance use is impairing their functioning, that they use despite experiencing negative consequences. So that's a concern, and that translates into one in five students. I think the new products that are available are of concern as well. The national data suggests some serious concerns for female drinking and other substance use. There's a decreased perception of risk related to cannabis. Misperceptions are proliferating with regard to cannabis. Science-based information isn't being used as the foundation for beliefs about cannabis. And I think one of the key takeaways that we learned from the pandemic, ironically enough, is that the environment matters. We always knew that from the scientific literature, but the pandemic really, because of the change in the environment and the lack of social interactions for college students with big parties, binge drinking seemed to go down. And that really was a reinforcement that those environments are where high-risk drinking takes place. Right. So you, you've started talking about this, but I wonder if some of the other sort of changes you mentioned, higher rates of female drinking or binge drinking, are those also potentially related to COVID and the pandemic? Or how are you seeing behaviors change in a way that seems very correlated to the global pandemic? Reactions to the pandemic were very mixed, depending on the circumstances that you were living in. So for some people, their drinking increased, for some it stayed the same, and for some people it actually decreased. And what we found was that the decreases were related to 
not being in an environment where the alcohol use was permissive. So if you went home, for instance, and you lived with your parents and your parents were very strict about alcohol, you were likely to decrease your drinking. If you weren't, if you didn't have parties available, you were less likely to drink in those social situations. And so higher drinking decreased. But one of the concerns was that alcohol use became more frequent among people who were already using alcohol and that solitary drinking in different contexts, like during the day or during class on Zoom class, might have increased for some people. So that's what I mean by the mixed response to the pandemic with related, related to drinking. Now, interestingly, the most recent national data show that there has been a bounce back to pre-pandemic levels that about 30% of students are drinking in a high-risk way, but that looks to be driven by females. So females experienced that decrease more than males. And I don't really know why, but that's what the data are showing right now. So they experienced sort of a decrease during the COVID period. And now that many are back on campuses in a quote unquote normal way, their rates of drinking are spiking. Their rates of heavy drinking appear to be going back to the levels that they were prior to the pandemic. What's interesting though, is we don't really know if that means that women are more susceptible to the social drivers of drinking, or whether or not the products that are available today are really being pushed toward women are one of the drivers of the drinking patterns among women. And we think it might be both. Have you seen behaviors in terms of heavy drinking return to pre-COVID state for other groups as well? Or has it been primarily for women? It's interesting you point that out. And the main comparison group that we have are individuals who are not in college at the national level. We've got data on that. And that pre-pandemic, post-pandemic change didn't appear to be as pronounced for people who are not in college. So again, the college environment might have something to do with the way college students drink. There is one other issue. One of the things that surprised me about the national data is that 28% of students, college students in the past year have vaped nicotine and almost 20% have vaped cannabis. Is it the kind of return of use of nicotine that surprises you the most and when college students seem to be using nicotine, is that more often in vape form than in a traditional cigarette form or tobacco or otherwise? It's a great question. A lot of people think that cigarette use is way down and daily cigarette use appears to be way down, but 17% of college students have used cigarettes in the past year. Hmm. So I think the availability of vaping paraphernalia is another contemporary challenge. And it seems to be something that we need to pay more attention to, both vaping of nicotine as well as cannabis. Is the sense that nicotine use, if it's not sort of daily, is going with parties and drinking and it kind of occurs in in that setting for the most part? We're not sure. We know nicotine is very addictive. And so we need just to 
we need to do more research to find out the context in which that behavior is occurring and need to pay more attention to it, I think, going forward. And how would you describe the relationship between drinking or substance use more generally and overall well-being and mental health for college students? That's a complicated question. (laughs) And there's a, a big concern right now about college student mental health and college student well-being. And we're seeing that the pandemic had impacts on their social development, that they weren't able to practice just normal social interactions and learn social skills at a developmental stage where those things are very important to practice. And I think substance use interacts with that because there's sort of this societal notion that the use of substances will make those social interactions easier, especially if you're in a new situation. And that's sort of a dangerous combination because you're not learning how to interact socially without substances, which you need to do in your life, in job situations and family situations. Like you need to practice those social skills in the absence of a substance being on board. And I think that's an important way in which we can promote a message that everyone is in the same boat. Everyone is anxious about meeting people in new situations, and there's no one who's really good at it. So everyone just has to realize that this is a skill that young people need to learn, and maybe structured activities could be designed on college campuses to facilitate those social interactions in a healthy way without substances. And maybe even faculty need to take into account, even during class, group projects, partnering with people in my own class, some of the things that I would assign on your own, I'm assigning it with a partner to do so that you get those experiences in the absence of quote unquote social interactions, but they're still with another person. And is one concern that the dependence on alcohol for sort of social ease is something they end up carrying with them out of college as well? Are you able to see that maybe college students evolve after graduating and are drinking less, particularly in social contexts, or is that not the case? Well, what we are concerned about is that there's still a pretty high rate of heavy drinking among college graduates as opposed to non-college graduates. And people don't really realize that, that drunk driving is higher among college graduates. Heavy episodic drinking might be higher among college graduates. So there is something that college students take away in terms of the way that they have practiced their alcohol drinking patterns into adulthood. They might decrease the quantity of alcohol consumed per occasion and increase the frequency with which they drink alcohol. But we know those alcohol patterns persist. And also, you really don't know what your vulnerabilities are with respect to your risk for addiction. So one thing colleges need to be mindful of is not to to say, all this will go away. They're college students. This is just a a rite of passage. For some people, these drinking patterns that are established during college will persist and get worse, especially in times of stress or circumstances later. So we really don't know 
there's really no no non-risk associated with college drinking. And are the concerns both for college students while they're in school and, and after they graduate similar for heavy drinking as they might be for cannabis or are they different? Cannabis is associated with adverse consequences for mental health. Cannabis use can precipitate the onset of a mental health condition and cannabis use can acerbate an existing mental health condition. And those, those effects of cannabis are not as recognized as they should be. Whereas with alcohol, people understand the risk associated with alcohol for, let's say, high-risk injury or drunk driving. Those things have sort of been well, well known for a long time. And I think that the risks associated with cannabis are not as talked about. So I, th- I think we need to have a level setting as far as what the true risks of cannabis are that are supported by the scientific literature. You mentioned some of the myth or the confusion around whether you can grow to be dependent or if dependency is an issue with cannabis. That does seem to be something that confusion abounds around. And I wondered if you could speak to that. Is addiction, is dependence an issue with cannabis and how might it be different from alcohol in that way? Sure. Cannabis use disorder exists. About We found that about 20% of college students who use cannabis in the past year experience dependent symptoms. So dependence is the same regardless of the drug that you use. It the cardinal feature is using more to get the same effect or using despite negative circumstances. And with cannabis, it appears that because you associate, if you associate with friends who are using cannabis, who don't see it as a problem, they might not call you on it as a problem. And so it might go unrecognized as a problem, but it's pretty insidious in that it can eat away at your ability to fulfill your responsibilities. We found associations with engagement in school and academic performance. Your ability to sleep well may be affected by cannabis. And some people think, oh, I sleep better if I'm smoking. And sometimes if you think about, well, how do you know that? Well, when I stop, I sleep terribly. Well, that might be a a dependence on cannabis because the withdrawal symptom is poor sleep. So you need about 30 days of not using cannabis to find out what your sleep would be like if you weren't using. So it's really they're treating withdrawal symptom by saying that their sleep is affected. So there's a lot of solid evidence that cannabis use can create the type of dependence that you see with other drugs. So let's talk a little bit about the Maryland Collaborative and what you've been working on there in terms of possible solutions. What are the solutions that you are hopeful about um, or maybe have already seen success from? Sure. The Maryland Collaborative, just for your listeners who aren't aware of what it is, is a group. It's a network of 18 colleges in the state of Maryland who are trying to align what they are doing with scientific evidence. So we are staff to the Maryland Collaborative, this network, and 
as advisors to those campuses, we provide training and technical assistance based on scientific evidence. And we do a lot of listening. We tailor the interventions to the colleges. We use a data-driven strategy to make sure that they measure their progress in terms of their, their activities as well as their outcomes. And we engage a lot of different stakeholders. I think that's one of the keys to our success is that we see this as not a health center issue or a counseling center issue, but we see this as a way of bringing in stakeholders like faculty, like conduct professionals, policymakers, community members. We encourage colleges to talk to the retail environment around alcohol bar owners to reduce over-service, underage drinking. So it's a multi-level, multi-component strategy to try to address some of the the issues related to high-risk drinking. And I have to say that we have experienced success, and I think that the colleges have learned a lot, but they've also taught us a lot about what their concerns are, and we try to be responsive to those concerns. So it's a great partnership between academicians and policymakers, college presidents, leadership, uh, practitioners. And we all know that we're all in this together to address some really serious issues on campuses. I also want to mention that we have a website for parents of college students called collegeparentsmatter.org. That is a website that's available to anyone, whether you're in the Maryland Collaborative or not. And we focus on parent-child communication, and we've really encouraged the colleges in the Maryland Collaborative to address high-risk drinking with college parents. And we found that to be very successful and that we get a lot of comments from parents about how the material is very useful to them, about how to communicate about high-risk situations and different issues. We just posted some alcohol action minutes on our website, marylandcollaborative.org, that one of them deals with how to work with the retail environments around a college campus So I think that those might be useful. Some schools have really leaned into screening in their health centers. Some people think that might be difficult to do, but when you routinize it and make it easy to do, uh, it becomes part of the wellness checkup. And that's a really important strategy for identifying high-risk drinkers. There's a number of different strategies that we write about in, in our guide to best practices that's also available on the website. So what do you think that quote unquote healthy drinking could look like for college students? Would that necessarily mean abstaining from alcohol altogether? What are you thinking about in terms of end goals? (laughs) I really think that we have to think about it differently. We have to see drinking as a risky activity. There's more and more evidence that even very low levels of drinking has impacts on your physical health. And I think one of the, not to get existential on you or anything, but I think one of the impacts of the pandemic is that we're focused on the immediate gratification, like the world is falling apart. (laughs) There's so, so much gloom and doom that you know, I am going to live each day as if it were my last, rather than think about, I might have this body for 85 years, so how can I take care of it now? Right. And I think that the idea of 
making low risk drinking if you choose to drink rather than say healthy drinking it's a little risky to say that there's a thing called healthy drinking mm. certainly for cannabis use we know no level of safe use with cannabis so substance use to address social anxiety or mental health concern there's so many other more healthy ways to do that than drinking there are so many other ways to reward yourself besides drinking and i think that that's kind of the problem is it's been woven into this idea that the way we reward ourselves is through immediate gratification through substances and the idea that we work hard to achieve long-term reward has kind of been lost and ironically what colleges have to offer and i've said this to Marge at the Mary Christie Foundation over and over again is what colleges have to offer is this challenging environment where you can really find your purpose in life and find meaningful friendships. And that's part of the reward. That's part of the long-term reward. It's not this immediate gratification associated with substance use. So I think developmentally, we have to realize that the brain is still under development till probably the age of 25 and we know that any exposure to any psychoactive substance before the age of 25 is going to increase the risk of problems later on and change that risk reward balance that you might associate reward with using substances rather than long-term reward. So I think the message should be use your developmental years in college to learn and practice social skills to um, to fail and recover and understand what that can be like without substances. And I think you have a more solid foundation moving forward if that's the message rather than some drinking is okay and people can be rewarded if they they do well, they can have a substance as their reward. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly the trend towards searching for immediate gratification does seem to be popping up in a lot of ways and for young people from social media. And I can imagine how that also finds its way into the way that we socialize in real life and look for our rewards in the real world as well. So that is incredibly interesting and, and thought-provoking. And thank you so much for coming on today, Dr. Aria. It's been such a pleasure to hear from you and learn from you. And I certainly hope we talk again soon, considering how crucial it will be to stay on top of these substance use issues and, and solutions on campus and see how they evolve. Thanks, Molly. Thank you so much. This has been The Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>